and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, balling up, calling entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. It's Tim and Friends. <laughs> With me, Tim McCall. That's Jesse Rubinoff. You heard the chuckle already. He's here to help host and bring you into the equation on both Twitter and Instagram. That's why we call him the digital producer of the show, which is what I used to do. But then Sid left, and well, we've adjusted some contrast in the day-to-day, Jesse. Celebration. Mm. Hall of Fame Monday nice. in Toronto. Jerome McGinley, Kevin Lowe, Doug Wilson, Marion Hosa, Kim St. Pierre, and Ken Holland. All being enshrined in Hockey's Hall of Fame tonight. That's on one side. The other side, while Canada's legends are being honored, the heat has been turned up in Vancouver and Montreal as both of those markets are looking for a scapegoat for just how the Nucks and the Habs have started. We'll examine if they should get one, if they should get two, maybe even down the road. And today, word out of Ottawa is that apparently 10 is enough. That's right, kids. It takes 10 players on the COVID list to get something done. It's finally caused the NHL to step in, albeit after a 4-0 loss to the Flames last night. Apparently, three games have been postponed, and the team canceled its flight to Jersey. That's on the list of things to do in this very show. We'll examine that a little closer. We'll also get to what we learned in Week 10 in the National Football League as the Rams and Niners close out the week. Tonight on Monday Night Football, the Raptors begin a six-game road trip in Portland tonight where they won't face a Dwayne Casey-led team. And surprisingly, Raptors fans are thanking God for that because Dwayne Casey somehow beats the Raptors. Pound the rock. Every time. Yeah, he pounds the rock, all right. He does it just against the Raptors. (laughs) And the Canadian men's soccer team, all-important three points on Friday against Costa Rica in a balmy, I say balmy, Jesse, zero-degree weather in Edmonton, going to be a wee bit colder tomorrow in a huge match with second place Mexico. In fact, I think Canada hopes to turn the Mexican side into Ilya Brizgalov circa like 2006, I'm guessing. The November month is a minus 32. Could you imagine? <laughs> it's a eight months in eight months in a year snow. Why do you have to be mad? Well, I'm not finished. <laughs> Here's like a North, North Pole. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Mexico has anyone named Ilya Brizgalov on the team, but they might turn into that real quick. One of my favorite Tim and Sid sound bites of all time. Yeah. Could you imagine? It's very similar to Kucherov in that sense. <laughs> yeah, Could there, you imagine? There yeah. is a very Kucherov feel to it all. Yeah. Why do you have to be mad? <laughs> Breeze ahead of his time, eh? 2021. Why you have to be mad? Yeah. It's the question we should ask everybody. And one of the greatest Canadian footballers of all time. Craig Forrest will join us in the first hour to discuss Sean McKenzie from the Hall of Fame. Renaud Lavoie also on the Hall, the Sens, the Canucks, and his hometown Habs. We'll also get former NFL MVP Rich Gannon on what in the H-E double hockey sticks is going on in the NFL we start with Jesse. First things first. What's up, Cooper Cup? Nice. First things first. Um, Cooper Cup is going to eat 
tonight. Oh, yeah? I get to sip. Not that I know anything about football. Wait, we'll get to that in a second. Are you making predictions no, already? Yeah, no, no. I'm just going to stay away from making any of those predictions. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, you do have the Rams tonight minus four, right? You got to save I, us. I do have the Rams minus four You got to You got to save the show. Like, the whole but, reputation is riding on the Rams. Are today. you? Uh, I, was 0, I was 0 for 1. I had a terrible Titans minus two talking, and a half. I'm not talking about it yet. Okay. We've prepared something just well, to, to, to illustrate how big of a loser I am. On this Monday morning. Okay. I will, uh, okay. Uh, stay so, tuned for that. So we're going to begin on the ice, where you mentioned to. it. Uh, I guess it's kind of off the ice, actually. After seven straight days with a positive COVID-19 test, the Ottawa Senators yeah, they're off. will be shut down for the week after a breakout has wreaked havoc on the health and availability of the team. With 10 players and a coach in COVID protocol, games against the Devils Tuesday, the Predators on Thursday, and the Rangers on Saturday are postponed. These sense facilities have been closed until further notice. Tim, you were big on this last week. Is this the right call, or is it a little bit too late, perhaps? Hey, listen, I'm not a doctor. Don't play one on TV. Don't want to play one on TV, but I do have a little common sense. And I realized what we were doing last week. We sat here, we had this exact conversation, and I realized that it was the integrity of the competitive balance of the game versus the business. And I'm not saying that's easy. What do people do with their tickets? How is the rest of the schedule working? All of that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I understand how tough it is, but if you watched last night, Calgary and Ottawa, it was obvious something had to happen, and I wish that we didn't have to get too obvious to do what's right, but as I have said a ton, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. But Tim McAuliffe on his rinky-dink TV show in Canada can't beat the NHL to the punch. Like, that's not cool. It's the right thing, and now we have to figure out how to avoid this in the future. We have to learn from it because it's clear we aren't done learning on this virus because they were all vaccinated, mm -hmm. and yet we ended up here. The pandemic is not over, so the learning can't be over too. But bottom line, what happened last night shouldn't happen, period. I think that's absolutely bang on. I mean, it's it, more than anything, the, the emotion that I sort of feel is like it, it's scary that you've gotten to this point where the breakout has been that bad with the senators. Like, that's why they were vaccinated in the first place to right. avoid a situation like this. So uh, it's a bit scary and a bit alarming. But nonetheless, the NHL finally yeah, I know. made the right move. And, and it was the integrity of the game, which is what you were concerned about last week and what you were talking about. Like, right. that's, that was an issue. And we're going to work through, like, the asymptomatic. And I don't, I don't want to, like, get down in the weeds of, like, who and where and when do the right thing and once the doctors figure out what totally. the weeds are. But the other part of this equation is this starts the first domino on the NHL's opting out of the Olympics. They have the opportunity in January to opt out of the Olympics. And this is the first domino to fall where a schedule gets pushed back. And there isn't much room in this schedule whatsoever. And I think the reason why we waited until what looked like you couldn't wait anymore. I mean, last night's game, Calgary walked all over yeah. him. It wasn't close. Yeah. It was an AHL team on the ice for Ottawa, and you can't blame them. And I think the NHL kind of sort of knew that. They might have been sending some messages in and around the league. Make sure you're masking up. Make sure the protocols don't go down. And I said this last week. We're probably getting to the point where... A lot of these teams, because they were, especially in the States, vaccinated early, mm -hmm. are going to need their booster shots. Again, I'm not the doctor. I'm not going to go through this. But we're getting to a point where the NHL may have to opt out of the Olympics. And that's a, that's a big carrot for a lot of their players. Yeah. 
and a lot of their fans too. That would be brutal. And we, we know that Sham Sharania last week, I believe it was, uh, sent out a tweet saying that the NBA is encouraging all their personnel, all their staff, all their players to move ahead with boosters as soon as they possibly can. Obviously, it's to avoid situations like right. what the, the Ottawa Senators are going through right now. So uh, we'll see if the NHL sort of follows suit there because ultimately that's what the, the doctors are recommending, right? Right. Uh, yeah, Olympics would be a tough blow for a lot of guys that either haven't been there first. Uh, so, okay, let's go to the Vancouver Canucks because a miserable road trip ended yesterday. They lost 5-1 to the Ducks, losing three straight, giving up 19 goals in four days. And the early season struggles continued for the Habs, losing 5-2 to the Bruins, now losers of five of their last six. Now, both teams' expectations were a little higher coming into the season. No kidding, with the Habs making the cup final last year. Are you expecting changes from Montreal, from Vancouver, or from both? Well, Montreal just gave Dom Ducharme a three-year extension <laughs> off of an interim deal, so he's not going anywhere right now. The only question would be Mark Bergevin, and then in Vancouver, what you want to do with a team that you and I had a conversation after a 7-1 loss of how that's the kind of game that can get your head coach and or GM fired, and they follow that up with two more eggs. Uh, on that road trip there there obviously is conversations going on in Vancouver and you look down that lineup and it's pretty damn ugly and there's no way to sugarcoat this there's no way to hold back and there's a lot of guys that they expected a hell of a lot more yeah Elias Pettersson is one of those guys Brock Besser is another one of those guys that just haven't been performing Pettersson had two shots on goal he didn't have anything on the road trip if I'm not mistaken, he has zero five-on-five five goals. Zero, the whole season. Yeah. yeah. Zero five-on-five five goals this year. Like, the guys who they thought and, frankly, paid to be at that level aren't at that level. In this day and age, and we'll talk about this a little later on in the show too, in this day and age, when you are paid in a salary cap system, you have to perform to that level. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the rest of the team suffers. And the Canucks are going through that right now, and it's up to Travis Green to find a way or he'll be out. And that, I, like, when they came back, I think a lot of people wanted to see something done yeah. in Vancouver. And... I'm surprised they lasted through what was one of the ugliest road trips that you will ever see. The question is, like, where are the struggles coming from? Like, who really is to blame? Like, we always see Benning trending. We always see Travis Green uh, trending on Twitter. Like, you have discussed now Elias Pettersson's struggles and Brock Besser's struggles. And for me, that's what makes this sort of like a five-alarm fire is you don't know whether it's the roster construction, whether it's the effort like we heard Bo Horvat talk about last week. Is it the special teams that's the issue? Because the penalty kill, <laughs> they allow pa- two power play goals every single game, basically. <laughs> like every single game. So the power play is not much better than the penalty kill is. So how are you supposed to stay afloat when you're allowing goals on the kill and you can't score on the power play? And you're not getting production from your top players. So that's the most concerning thing is like who ultimately is to blame here, and there's not much they can do because they're right up against the cap. It has to be the coach or the GM. Whenever it is a spot like this, it's always everyone, and then you just find someone to blame. Yeah. And that's the truth. Uh, The last time that they had lost back-to-back games and allowed seven goals in those games was October 30th and November 1st of 1997. Three days later, they fired their GM, Pat Quinn, and 10 days later, they fired the coach. So if anyone thinks that this will go away quickly, 
it won't. These things always find a way of catching up. And if something doesn't change, careful what you wish for if you're a player in that room because the way that they've been playing, and we said this last week, is enough to get someone fired. No People question. lose their jobs over things like this. No question. Uh, actually, I'm pretty surprised that someone hasn't up to this point because it's been bad for quite some time now. And I, I want to get to the Pacific Division because I think that actually plays a role in the Canucks' struggles as well because the, the division, I think, is a little bit better than most people, including us, were giving it credit for early in the year. So the Flames shut out the Sens 4-0 yesterday. The Oilers beat the Blues mm-hmm. 5-4. And I asked you a few weeks ago if you thought that division, the Pacific, went through Alberta. Shut up. <laughs> what do you think now? <laughs> shut up. Do you really think that the division is better? Do you think the Anaheim Mighty Ducks are better? Yeah. Do you yeah, think yeah. The- I, I, team by team, for sure. I think the Oilers, I, mean, I, thought, I thought the Oilers are going to be pretty good, but I think they're better than most people thought they were going to be in the regular season. Ducks are better. Flames are definitely off to a better start than most people give them credit for. Golden Knights are getting Jack Eichel back. Yeah, but they lost three in a row going into the game against Ottawa. Like, I still don't know what the Pacific Division is, but I I thought that the Canucks were better. So I'm just going to take my my crow and (laughs) put a little salt and pepper on top. And, and eat it because I thought that Vancouver was going to have a say in the way this broke down. And it's like I don't look at that division and say, like, the Flames are unbeatable. They're off to a good start. I don't look at this division and say, the Kraken aren't very good. The Kings had a five-game winning streak and they did it, you know, in weird spots. And I think Todd McClellan is a good coach. I just don't know what they are. It's just the Canucks, are, the further they get in the rearview mirror, like, those teams suddenly become more of an issue for the Canucks because you're playing them more often. And if yeah, they're and a little bit improved... Why, I think that's why you haven't seen something done yet because it's a panic button yeah. in a spot where you probably think that you can actually make hay if you just get on a winning streak. But Okay, so uh, Jeff Merrick was on last week. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he threw out a number with McDavid that I, I think you, you might have missed it. But remember we were joking about, about the 180-point uh, season? Yeah. And he threw that out there. Now, McDavid is the sixth fastest to 600 points, continues to pile them up, as does Leon Dreisaitl. How ridiculous are these two guys? Yeah, I'm glad you put, like, uh, I feel like, listen, Connor McDavid hits 600 points, and he becomes the sixth fastest player in NHL history to do so. That is worth all of the ink that was spilt, or at least the electronic ink that was spilt over the last... 24 hours on the feet. His last 100 points, going from 500 to 600 points, he did in 53 games. (laughs) I repeat, the final 100 points going from 500 to 600, he did in 53 games. So if you wanted to project that over a season, you're getting pretty damn close to 160 points. But I want to say that Leon Dreisaitl might end up leading the league in scoring this year. Like, look at it. He's got a four-point lead right now, and we're all jaw-dropped at what Connor McDavid is doing. I almost feel like Leon Dreisaitl's not getting enough credit because every time he has a three-point night like he had last night, McDavid has another milestone, and the electronic ink is spilt. Like, and never mind Ovi doing what... Never mind Troy Terry doing what he's doing with Anaheim. Uh, I just, I feel like... Leon's kind of being lost in the mix, at least nationally. Yeah. Maybe not locally in Edmonton, but like, go look at the numbers online for Leon for Hart and Leon for Art Ross. Like, it's 
he's still not close, and he's got a four-point cushion and plays with the guy yeah. who's chasing him. The, the thing I like about about um, this dynamic between McDavid and Drysaddle is no one really feels the need to like compare them. Like nobody's out there saying Drysaddle is better than McDavid when Drysaddle has a good night. It's not really about that. It's no. just about how they can sort of elevate each other. And now it's become they're, they're a tandem, and they're going to be a top the NHL scoring list for a, a very long time to come because they're both obviously exceptional players. Doesn't have to mean one's better than the other, but just appreciate the greatness of both of them. I just I, I find it weird that a guy leads the NHL in goals and points, and He's there's another guy on the team yeah. who more people are talking about, and only in this situation would you see something like that. But I think you need to stop and realize how often they don't play with each other on a line. They do on special teams, which is why it's so ridiculous yeah, right it's now. Unbelievable. But what they're doing, what they're both doing right now, is ridiculous and worth celebrating. Uh, have you checked out the NHL goalie statistics in the last little while and how it uh, yeah, pertains to the Leafs fan base? Yeah, there's there's kind of a trend working. I don't know if people have seen this over the last little while, but if you look at uh, the goals against averages in the National Hockey League right now. <laughs> Uh, the leader is Frederick Anderson. Number three is James Reimer. He's tied with Jack Campbell. If you go to save percentage, it's Leaf goalies abound. Reimer <laughs> leads the league in save percentage. Jack Campbell is third. Frederick Anderson is fourth. Is this damning to the Leafs? Is this good for the Leafs? Is the, like We put this out on social media yesterday, and the responses from... Like, the Leafs are idiots to let <laughs> Freddie Anderson go to, what, the Leafs have a really good goalie, shut your mouth, Yeah, is amazing to me. But to see Reimer, Anderson, and Campbell all on that list was a little bit eye-popping, is it not? Yeah, it's like humorous, but I, I do agree. I think if, if Jack Campbell wasn't on that list and it was Reimer and Anderson, then it would be, Leaf fans would be up in arms. But the fact of the matter is you, you still have a very good goalie at the moment in Toronto. So that sort of so, eases the So maybe if he goes pain. on a little bit of a streak like you saw earlier in we the year. We revisit. Shut, no, shut the hell up <laughs> and let it f- play itself out, right? Like, yeah. that's where we're at with this team is maybe there's not the greatest defense in the world and that there are good goalies that have played there but have had to stand on their head because of that defense. No question. Um, Sidney Crosby's back in the NHL, by the way. He's back playing. Did you happen to catch what uh, happened with him last night? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Um, a lot of people wanted to make a big deal out of him just chucking a dude into the boards. <laughs> uh, but he fe- uh, listen, there's, there's two parts of this. Like, if you feel like you're being manhandled, the one part of Sidney Crosby is he'll defend himself. And the other part is they got their rear ends handed to him and he might have just been pissed off. Yeah, he's he's just upset. (laughs) But, like, yeah, he's got a bit of a reputation. Like, when things are going south a little bit, he he lashes out. But this is the conversation that we're having about McDavid right now. Is that Sidney Crosby, for his entire career, has had to defend himself. And now we're in a spot where there's a lot of people making noise about Connor McDavid having to alter his game. Right? And for me, like, Crosby's been able to do it and be a generational player because Mm -hmm. that's the type of dude that he is. And it's real interesting for me to see the rest of the league say, well, maybe we should have this conversation. Like, Crosby's probably thinking to himself, like, what the hell? Where was this eight, ten years ago? 
Like, I lost significant. I was screaming. It's so funny. Like, last week when we had the John Tortorella conversation, Mm -hmm. I was screaming from the mountaintops when David Steckel took out Sidney Crosby with a cheap shot to the head that everyone knew was a cheap shot. How are we letting this happen to our stars? And then I watched for 10 years while the NHL just kind of said, nah, it's kind of sort of part of the game. Maybe we'll do a little bit more soul-searching here. Maybe we'll... we'll And then it gets to the playoffs and they go right back to the same thing. And people were ripping me for saying that, well, we know how it goes. In the playoffs, it's called differently. And now we're going to have the conversation. I hope the NHL is ready for it because I think Connor McDavid is going to force them into making a decision about is this generational regular season player going to be able to be nullified by what we have come to expect from playoff hockey. And they're at a, I think they're at a crossroads because McDavid's going to put up 160 to 180 points this year, and then people are going to wonder where they went in the playoffs. It's a very, it's a very interesting conversation, though, because I think if you ask fans, although it's tighter in the playoffs, I don't think people think it's a bad product in the playoffs, which is why it's so interesting. Like, Correct. obviously, you want to see Connor McDavid and his skill in the playoffs, but people also aren't complaining about it being boring or anything the like that. The intensity and the sacrifice yeah. that they see in the postseason. You can't, it feels like you can't have your cake and eat it, too, and the, the NHL is going to have to decide because I think people are going to get pissed off no question. very soon. And they're already pissed off. Yeah. Uh, Renault Lavoie coming up later to talk more hockey, but let's get to the NFL. Uh, another win for the sports books and not for Jesse Rubinov. A uh, bunch more silly results in Week 10, which means Vegas was a real winner, but not the Raiders. They got blown out by the Chiefs. Chiefs are back, Timmy. Chiefs are back while the Bills and Cowboys bounce back with some big wins, and the Patriots may have turned that corner, Timmy, that you were speculating about. So you've got three teams at 8-2 and two now, but the league, obviously, based on the results week to week, extremely wide open. What did you learn yesterday? Uh, I pride myself on constantly learning. So I think there was a lot. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I learned that after all is said and done, nobody in the AFC West was good enough to make the Chiefs pay for pooping their pants for nine weeks, and now they're probably going to pay for it because the Chiefs are going to run away with it. I learned once again that the road is littered with fools who bet against Bill Belichick. I learned that Baker Mayfield isn't elite. I learned that for all the bitching and complaining about Aaron Rodgers, his pseudo-intelligence, and what weapons he has, his defense might be the best he's ever had, Mm. and that should put the focus right back on football because they may be able to make a run. I learned that Even when the Lions aren't the Lions, they're still the Lions. And I'm still trying to learn what the hell two straight losses to the beat-up Saints and just a bad Washington football team mean for the Bucs. That's what I learned. And attempting to predict what is going to happen in the NFL week to week is like skiing through a revolving door. What did you learn? I learned that gambling is stupid and we need to revisit it. (laughs) How? Have a listen. Ewing theory with the Cleveland Browns. They subtracted Odell Beckham Jr. There's something cohesive going on there. I think Baker Mayfield feels more comfortable. Intercepted! Mayfield has it picked off by Kyle Duggar. Nick Chubb is out for the Browns, but the Patriots' backfield has a ton of injuries as well. It's a pitch. Good cut. Stevenson steamrolls in. 
Stevenson powers in. Touchdown, New England. The Patriots have some wins against some not-so-quality opponents. The Patriots with their fourth consecutive win, and they demolished the Browns 45-7. to And the Cowboys, they stunk a little bit last week. Prescott unloading end zone. Caught by Lamb. Touchdown. When are the Falcons going to get a little bit of respect here? It's coming. Prescott in trouble. Lofting it to the corner. I like getting nine and a half points with the Falcons there. Prescott rolling, going the other way, looking, going to run it in. He's in. Touchdown, 43-3. to three. They lost 88-10 to 10 combined, Tim. It's a long way to go to just say you were 0-2 on the week. Against 88 to, I could try that every day for the rest of my life, and I don't think I would get two worse results. But you Listen, know, you had two and all weeks. You didn't spike the football. You just you, you walked away with your record intact. Don't do that. Builds character. Builds adversity. Or No, you come through this other side. Of, okay, here's what? what I'm going to say. Okay, let me just. It's not about were, how hard you hit. It's how hard, what is it? What's it saying? How hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Rocky, that's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going 2-0. <laughs> and you are going to save us tonight because you have the Rams. Uh, the whole show's gambling reputation is uh, riding on the Rams tonight. We need to go 1-3 and because that is so much better than 0-4. Come a, on, Timmy. What a bad beat with the Titans. Uh, <laughs> that was so gross. We are, oh, we are 0-3 right now. All right, still to come, Rich Gannon, chop up week 10. Tell us what the hell we're doing wrong. Renault Lavoie from the Hockey Hall of Fame induction night, plus James Sharman from Edmonton and up next. Former Canadian keeper, all-around good guy, one of the greatest footballers ever to play for Canada. He'll pop by to discuss Canada's road to Qatar. Oh, more baby steps. Tim and friends on a Monday, let's do it. Newton takes the snap. And he is in for a Panthers touchdown. This time last week, I was eating a bowl of cereal. <laughs> Catch made. Did he get out of bounds? Ball's out. Does anybody really want to win this game? I didn't know he'd even time to make that. Good ball. Lifts it up to the far post. Barrera spills. It's in. Followed up by Kane, and Kane is weaving through for four, and for England, six. Kane's just having fun now. So we just try and keep taking it to that next level. Oh, baby! <laughs> Something tells me I got my swagger back. Oh, baby! Edmonton has showed up. Now it's time to show out a massive opportunity in Davies Kingdom. The ball still loose, Buchanan, off the bar! That was ridiculous, that was so close! Okay, the fans are getting up, here we go. Good ball, lifts it up to the far post, Barrera spills, it's in! Fortress provides Canada the three points.
Well, Mr. Wheeler, if you thought it was a frozen fortress on Friday night, wait till tomorrow night. A world of hope. Canada getting headlines across the world as we speak and here to talk about it. With us is one of Canada's greatest footballers of all time, co-host of the Footy, Footy Prime podcast, and an old friend, Craig Forrest. Welcome back to the show, Craig. How are you, man? How are you doing? It's um, absolutely fantastic, isn't it, what we're seeing? It's so funny. Like, my first question was, like, just what are you thinking as a guy who spent broadcasting, playing, watching? Like, what are you thinking as you're watching Friday night and in the, in, in the scenes in Edmonton? Oh, my goodness. Well, it brings back a lot of great memories from Edmonton because I, I did actually make it sort of social on Twitter, Twitter that I still see that as the home of Canadian soccer because going back years ago, uh, back into the 90s, uh, there wasn't a lot of support for Canadian soccer. It was hard to find a city that would support us. And Edmonton was there for many, many times against teams uh, in lower games like Cuba, but also for big games like Brazil and Australia and Costa Rica. We drew Mexico there uh, in a World Cup qualifier as well. It got, you know, it's been terrific. Uh, the memories are long, and to see the smiles on the face of these players at this moment in time, we want to curb our enthusiasm a little bit because there's still a ways to go. But there's a really good feeling about this side. They're uh, in a sitting in a fantastic position. They're confident. They're ready to go. They're under great management, and uh, there's no reason to think they're not going to go to Qatar. So let, let's 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 examine that for a second, because I understand. I'm I've followed this team for a while, and, and heartbreak was always part of the equation where you felt like you were a step away and then realized quickly that it was not a step away. It was like four steps away. And it always felt like that as you're watching this, do you feel, and I said this, I had a little speech after Suriname on the show where I said, there's way more skill and there's more skill off the bench. And this is a different team. When you watched what you saw on Friday, did you get the feeling like Canada would be able to, take on what is coming their way over the next seven games absolutely yeah. I, I have absolutely no shadow of a doubt tim this side is different i mean as you 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 need to look at just okay we'll start with our star product alfonso davies playing for Bayern munich talk about a tier one tier one plus player then you go jonathan david leading the league in france laren and turkey leading turkey and talking scoring, about a lot yeah. of a lot of goal scoring power there. You got technical ability, flair, pace. Tejon Buchanan, brilliant midfield uh, guys are uh, defending really well. I thought our defense was going to be an issue potentially. That's been solid as a rock, as a group, as a unit. And when you have that pace, you've seen it. When you watch the guys in Azteca, Mexico sat backs against Canada. You have that world class pace, world class. Alfonso Davies is doing stuff with the Canadian team. He must think this is just so much fun because he gets held a little bit at Bayern Munich. He's in that position. He's told to do something, and he does it incredibly well. World-class. One of the best left-sided players in the world, no question. But for Canada, he's getting a little bit of freedom to be able to do some things, and you can see that he, he runs into trouble a little bit, but he's exciting. He's almost there, but when he learns... When and when not to make that last move or make that pass, he's going to get better. He's going to get better. And it's exciting to see. So he must be really enjoying his time with this Canadian national team because it's uh, 
obviously it's a brilliant moment for him. He's also playing in his hometown. If I said anybody in Canada deserved Alfonso Davies, it's Edmonton because of the support and and also immigration. Awesome. Yeah. They're one of the highest cities in Canada for immigration. There's a lot of immigrants come through there. So it's an immigrant city and they're supporting us and they always have done. And Alfonso, he's all yours. Yeah, I, I, a, a bunch of the guys in the, on the group of this team, uh, the Tim and Friends team, were pointing out a tweet that you had sent out over the weekend about the makeup of this team and how it's, it's people from all over the world coming together and almost representing Canada. And to have that in Edmonton with Alfonso Davies, born in a refugee camp, um, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable to see how far this has come and how far the support for them has come too. Because Craig, I feel like that's a big step in this where it's no longer, you know, flying coach or doing some of the things that you guys had to do in order to mm-hmm. compete at the highest levels. Well, that's right. Uh, Victor Montagliani had a lot to do with that. The president of CONCACAF now is a Canadian. He's one of the most powerful has one of the most powerful positions in all of sport, vice president of, uh, of FIFA. FIFA yeah. He brought some professionalism into this as well. He's also under some radar right now for some other issues. I'm not going to shy away from that. However, they will be resolved, I believe. Um, but they had to do with that, that professionalism, that if we're going to compete in a sport that the whole world competes in, we're going to have to change our ways. And we've done that. Uh, even from down to decisions like, where are we going to play? That was never the coach's decision, but since Stephen Hart, the coach has got that decision. So there's a decision coming up pretty shortly about where Canada is going to play in Toronto or in Vancouver in January. And I'm going to say Toronto only because Hmm. if it is John's decision, I'm thinking logistically, there's another five-hour flight if you go to Vancouver. It's nothing to do with the cities. It just comes down to the technical issues yeah. and the flight and, and where the players are going to be. I just wondered with all that speed, maybe do they want to play on turf? Because that it's so funny because, you know, they were back indoors today training again because it's, it's so cold in Edmonton and you're playing Mexico and yeah, sure, they're not going to feel like they're, uh, the Mexicans are not going to feel like they're, they're at home, obviously, because it's going to be like minus 10 to minus 20 out there. But is this team now that skilled, Craig, that maybe you want to be on a better surface? That's a really, really good question. And the answer to that would be yes. Uh, however, uh, Costa Rica play on an artificial surface in, the, in their international games too. They didn't play particularly well the other night. Yeah. And they're used to it. Although that artificial surface in Edmonton, I have to say, is atrocious. <laughs> atrocious. I don't know when the last time they re- replaced it, but it's in bad shape. And you know what? The Canadian players are like, whatever. We'll deal with whatever we have to deal with. I believe the Mexicans will come in and they will be a little bit more disappointed, probably complain to FIFA about how this is possible that you could play on a pitch like this, all this sort of stuff. But that's okay. That's absolutely fine. We can deal with that. But I think it's going to affect the Mexicans more than will do the Canadians. But we can't forget that Mexico has always been the powerhouse. We can't underestimate them and there's a long way to go. So far, what, seven games left in this qualification. So... But they're there for the taking, for sure. Right. Okay, so the, the visuals that we just showed, the snow is 
today in Edmonton. There was snowfall. Uh, you could see the trucks all across <laughs> laying down salt for the Edmontonians. But I, I feel like there's a lot of love for Canada right now. Grant Wall, I saw him tweeting about the idea that Canada is, you know, maybe the most exciting new team in the block. Sky Sports did a feature on John Herdman and how this Canadian squad is getting close. But the next three games for Canada, so Mexico on Tuesday and then at Honduras versus the United States, Panama's next three games are El Salvador at Costa Rica versus Jamaica. Like, this is not done and dusted by any stretch of the imagination, is it? No, it's not. And that's something, too, that John Herman is aware of. He'll be saying after the game the other night, well done, let's celebrate. Uh, let's have 24 hours or maybe less on that. And then let's refocus and start looking at Mexico and start figuring out what we're going to do with them uh, tactically, technically, and also the result that they just came off. That's very important to think about that because that could change how the Mexicans play in the next game because they got outplayed, outmuscled, and really destroyed against the United States. So they're going to be on the re as well so Canada's gonna have to be careful of that do they come out firing or they try to get at Canada really quickly does Canada and Herman just sort of sit back or not even that but sit let to see what they they want to do first because quite frankly I if Canada sat back I think there's plenty of ways to beat this Mexican team I do mm -hmm. they could sit yeah. back Alfonso Davies that they're so scared of Alfonso Davies and uh, and Buchanan their pace that it's it's going to be quite something to see it's going to be quite something to see. It's going to be very, very interesting. Okay, so last one for you. We're under a minute left here, but uh, I got to tell you a quick story about you brought up Tejon Buchanan, and there's been a lot of ink spilt about Alfonso Davies, obviously. Uh, Jonathan David leading Liga in scoring. Kyle Lahren's going. Tejon Buchanan literally woke up my family on Friday night because my reaction to whatever the hell this was <laughs> was me leaping out of my bed and the rest of the family going, what the hell just happened? Do you know what the hell just happened when I reacted like that, Craig? Uh, yeah, I was with our footy prime guys, and I I hit the roof, absolutely <laughs> hit the roof. Yeah. Just the attempt from that distance and the fact that he got his foot over the equator of the ball and got it anywhere near the target was just, it was really special. And, and fortunately, just after that, Canada scored their goal, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. which settled things right down. But this is one of those moments, you know, that could have been, well, you, I'm looking at the World Cup qualifiers so far, Serio is scoring in Azteca, haven't done this, that since Jerry Gray, I think, in 1980. Uh, and yeah. at that, you know, basically a shrine of a stadium. And you look at, a, a you know, a, Alfonso's goal, the fourth goal against Panama, and then that sort of effort. You know, we've had some moments already, and it's been fantastic. Yeah. Buchanan is somebody I've watched very closely with New England this year on in MLS, and uh, he's an entertainment, confident player. And when I saw him playing a few games for them, I was like, wow, I can't believe we got another one. Like somebody who's got this confidence to take people on with pace. Brilliant. Uh, I think Club Bruges may have gotten themselves a little bit of a player here in Tejan Buchanan. Uh, Craig, Great talking to you. Uh, I can't, can't wait for tomorrow. Uh, looks like a lot of Canada is with us. Uh, great ratings on Friday. It's great to see Canada soccer at this level. And let's just continue it. Thanks for doing this, Craig. My pleasure. We hope Charms is freezing. I hope he's standing <laughs> on the field right now. We'll have him a little bit later on. And I've been told he's not indoors. He has moved out. Uh, part of the Footy Prime podcast with Mr. Forrest, <laughs> Mr. Decchio, and Mr. Charmin. Thanks, buddy. Pleasure. There is uh, Craig Forrest joining us from the humble abode. Time for a quick break. When we come back, we're talking Raptors. 
as they lose yet another with Pascal Siakam in the lineup and yet another to Dwayne Casey. Six-game roadie. Maybe that's the tonic. They just need to get out on the road. Pound the rock. Raptors next. All right, it's time to talk Raptors. Uh, So let's go to the hardwood here. Uh, Up and down season for the Raptors continued on Saturday. They lost at home to the lowly Pistons. uh, Outscored by eight points in the fourth quarter, losing 127-121. They've now lost all three games that Pascal Siakam has played in since returning to the lineup. We discussed this last week. So is the fact that Pascal's back in the lineup and they're losing, does that mean something or make a relax, Timmy? Okay, here's here's the thing about the 0-3 and and the Detroit, but like Fred Van Vliet didn't play against Detroit, Important footnote, yes. That is one thing that we need to mention and bring up. And like that might be the Fred Van Vliet appreciation game when he doesn't play. By the way, he's questionable tonight. Uh, with amazingly after his celebration in Philadelphia, a groin injury. I I think that's the one caveat that you have to throw in if you're going to ask me about Pascal Siakam. But as I've said all along, it's something you need to keep an eye on. And listen, I said this about the NHL and the Vancouver Canucks, and I'm going to say this about Pascal Siakam. If you get paid $30 million a year in the NBA, you have to be the equivalent of a $30 million a year player. And if it's not going to come to you with points, if it's not going to come to you shooting, you have to figure out other ways to be effective on the floor. You see it time and again with Kyle Lowry. Yeah. His shot will go south and he will do other things to make himself very, very valuable. Fred Van Vliet has learned that skill. Pascal Siakam has yet to learn that skill. And I think that's where the Raptors' frustration with Siakam comes. I think that's where the fans' frustration comes with Pascal Siakam, is you're a $30 million player. Okay, the team is okay if you're not scoring, but we've got to win. Find ways to make winning plays. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am a lot closer to getting to the fan side of can we trade Pascal Siakam than I thought I was going to be this early in the season. Now, to be fair, against Detroit, there was a well-rounded game. I saw a lot of the things that you wanted to see about making winning plays, but I need to see that more often from him. I need to see him passing out Mm -hmm. of double teams. Mm -hmm. I need to see him... Like, how many times did you see... Um, OG Ananobi make a really big pass when he knew he had the ball, right? Yeah. Like there were late game situations that led to our uh, our our ball ban. Yeah, yeah. Our ball ban from Fred Van Vliet. Sixers game. Yeah, Sixers game where OG Ananobi downhill into the lane, draws attention, kick out, wide open shot, right? Twice in a row, two possessions in a row. Definitely. Pascal has to do those things as well. Affect the game when your shot is not going down. And what a brilliant crew that we have around us to go get the visuals of what I'm talking about. <laughs> Even though I told I did not tell the them. Fine is ridiculous. I did not tell them that I was going to go down that road when we were going to have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, Van Vliet, uh, questionable tonight against Portland, still dealing with that groin issue. But uh, to follow up on Siakam, how difficult is that for a player, though, who's making $30 million a year? He basically signed that contract under the assumption that he's going to be the one that scores, right? That, that was when he signed. He was going to be 
player A for the Raptors. He was going to be option A. And that might not be to, this is what I was making, the case I was making last week. That might not be, need to be the case anymore. That could be Fred Van Vliet, that could be OG Ananobi on any given night, that could be Scotty Barnes now on any given night. So how difficult of a mental shift is that for Pascal, yeah. knowing that he's getting paid what he's getting paid, but maybe he doesn't have to be option number one. Do you remember when we talked to Nick Nurse and Bobby Webster at the start of yeah. the year and I brought up the uh, Sopan Deb New York Times yes. article about Pascal Siakam saying, I didn't know if I was the man, Kyle was still the man. Why that bugged me and why I asked that question repeatedly was because sometimes you don't need to be the man to be the man. Like, that's a part of the equation, especially with the Raptors. That's what makes them dangerous, yeah. is that anyone can be the – they're not going to be the team. You're, Pascal Siakam is not Kawhi Leonard. And when you feel like you have to be Kawhi Leonard is when you get in trouble. You, this team needs to be the Detroit Pistons or the Atlanta Hawks with the five All-Stars. Everyone's sharing the idea that they are the man. And that, to me, was a real danger sign for the Raptors that he was talking about the man and who's the man. Listen, there's ways to affect games beyond yeah. just scoring. Yes. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. You can score 20 a game and be ineffective. There's a lot of guys that do that on crappy teams. Yeah. Don't be that dude. Affect the game the way you can on any given night. Sometimes that's scoring. Sometimes that's rebounding. He's still 6'10". A Grab great a point. rebound. It's a great point. Uh, quickly before we get to break, a, a big announcement between Sportsnet and FIBA. Yes. They partnered to bring the uh, biggest and best international basketball to Canada. Uh, just a, a big announcement ahead of the FIBA qualifiers. Uh, this is this is pretty big news to me, isn't it? Yeah, I just I want to give some credit to uh, some of the folks upstairs for making yes. sure that the World <laughs> Cup qualifying yes. is on national TV and now that these... World Cup qualifiers will also be on. Very TV. important. Uh, it is very important for everyone to see. Time for break. Plenty of hockey to discuss on the other side. We flipped the script. That's right. Induction night at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Plus, Habs and Canucks continue to slide. We'll talk about it all with Renaud Lavoie from the red carpet after this right here on Tim and Friends as we go enshrinement on a Monday. Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Jesse, I keep getting wires caught. It comes with the territory, man. You should see where the wires are coming out of, too. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sheepdogs, back here for hour number two on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Coming up after us, 7 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet, the Isles and the Lightning from Tampa. Still to come, Rich Gannon stops by for his takeaways from Week 10 in the National Football League and another crazy week. Plus, Renault Lavoie to talk hockey. We've got Hall of Fame. We've got Sens. We've got Habs. Speaking of the Ottawa Senators, they are dealing with a COVID outbreak, and the NHL has now postponed the Senators' next three games through the weekend. Sens facilities have been closed until further notice. The team was scheduled to fly to New Jersey today out of a game tomorrow. That game, along with home games against the Predators and Rangers, have all been postponed. The Sens currently have 10 players in COVID protocol and lost 4-0 last night to the Flames. 
It is the Hockey Hall of Fame induction night, and it was a long wait for the 2020 class as their official induction was delayed a year due to the pandemic. But we've got a fine class. Flames legend Jerome McGinley goes in in his first year of eligibility. He scored 625 goals, 1,300 points in his NHL career, mostly wearing the C's in Calgary, both of them. He also won two Olympic gold medals with Canada, where he was a big factor. Marion Hossa becomes the third Slovakian player in the Hall of Fame, joining Stan Mikita and Peter Stastny. Hossa won three cups with Chicago, played for five teams, including the Sens, who drafted him 12th overall in 1997. Kim St. Pierre is Canada's most decorated female goalie of all time. She holds Canadian records in games played, wins and shutouts, Three Olympic gold medals, never lost in those Olympic Games. Five World Championship golds, that'll get you in. Kevin Lowe scored the first NHL goal in Edmonton Oilers history, was their first draft pick, and went on to win at five cups with the Oilers, plus another with the Rangers. His number was retired by the Oilers two weeks ago. Current Oilers GM Ken Holland gets the call as a builder. He was with the Red Wings from 1985 till 2019, spending 22 years as the GM, won four cups with the Wings, three of them as the architect. And the sixth member of the class is Doug Wilson, who goes in as a player playing over 1,000 games in his NHL career with Chicago and San Jose. He had an absolute blast from the point. 12th all-time among defensemen in goals, 15th in points. And has also been the Sharks GM since 2003. Joining us now from the red carpet at the Hall of Fame induction night is our red carpet kind of guy. Mm -hmm. That's right, Sean McKenzie joins us now from just outside the barriers. Sean, one, love the mustache. Two, what's the buzz down there? Well, that's the first time I've ever been called a red carpet kind of guy. So uh, <laughs> let's not put an end to that. Let's keep that thing going. I like that nickname. I'm going to run with it. But the buzz is outstanding. And if you're a hockey fan, you should be down here on Front Street. You're probably too late unless you live right next to it. But it's just a who's who of hockey names. Paul Coffey, Nick Lindstrom. The list just goes on and on just walking by. And, and you can't see it behind me, but there's people starting to crowd because I think they realize this is a big deal going on the lights camera action and there are some superstars and superstars going into the hall of fame and guys that are just real legends especially just two players jerome mcginla specifically one of them i've gotten a chance to talk to a few guys walking by it was mike babcock just a minute ago i said just what's the aginla moment that stands out to you and you know in classic mike babcock fashion he smiled and said well i think he set up a pretty important goal to help win a, a pretty important tournament that of course <laughs> being the olympics and the golden goal so uh, that's just a lot of the moments that you get to reminisce at nights like this and you get to look back and think of all the things that Marion Hosa won all the great moments that Ken Holland created and just even going further back it just goes on and on and on and I think that's what these nights are all about is just honoring the people that have just created so many amazing moments as as hockey fans all right so I've been to one in my life one induction ceremony and there's thousands of fans right now that are huge hockey supporters who would never get into a night like this. Once you walk into the hall and, and uh, where they actually do um, the induction part of this, what's the night like? I, I've had the honor of just 
being inside in one. I've, I've covered a lot of the red carpets and I've done this portion of it, but actually being inside is where it starts to really feel special because you see these guys pass by in the red carpet, but then when you actually get in, it, it's more interactive and you know, especially when it's right in the hall, you're looking around and you're seeing all these history, all this artifacts, and then you're seeing some of these people as I mentioned who helped create these moments so I think you know for fans it would be a special opportunity just to see these guys up close and see them interact with each other but I think I was just actually just talking to Craig Simpson and you know he talked a lot about just you know it's about reminiscing with old teammates and I think that's what a lot of these guys are and you hear players talk that when they retire when they move on they miss that camaraderie they miss that time in the room so uh, moments like this I think they love it just as much as the fans do because they get together and you're seeing buses unload of guys that you Know, used to play for the Red Wings, used to play for the Oilers, used to play for the Flames. Dion Phaneuf was roaming around a few minutes ago. I think that's what it's all about is, you know, once these guys retire, they go their separate ways and, and it's nights like tonight where they all get to get together and really reminisce. Like I said, and I've said it multiple times, just some of the great hockey moments we've witnessed in the last 20, 30, 40 years. Our red carpet guy, Sean McKenzie. Thanks for doing this, buddy. <laughs> Keep that energy going. <laughs> uh, there is Mackenzie, his mustache. Uh, he is uh, beside the red carpet. We'll have Renault Lavoie join us in mere moments from now. We'll talk not only about uh, the Hall of Fame, but also some interesting situations in Ottawa, Montreal, and Vancouver. Renault Lavoie coming up in a flash. The Raptors start a six-game Western road swing. Meanwhile, in Portland tonight, Freddie Van Vliet, as we mentioned last segment, questionable for tonight. After a disappointing home loss to the Pistons on Saturday, the Raptors are now 7-7 as they hit the road for almost two weeks with stops in Portland, Utah, Sacramento, Golden State, Memphis, and Indiana. Got it good and since you understood, lots of NBA action available on Sportsnet tonight. Pacers and Knicks are on Sportsnet now. Heat and Thunder, Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet now, followed by DeMar DeRozan. And the Bulls facing the Lakers on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1. The Compton kid goes home, and he has been playing very well. MVP talk, chatter. Yes. Yes, crazy. DeMar. DeMar taking on uh, the Lakers. Got to get Sportsnet Staples. now. You have to get it. Tonight. Great news for Canadian basketball fans. Speaking of, got to go get it. Sportsnet and Canada Basketball announced a partnership today that makes Sportsnet the exclusive broadcast right holders for FIBA events through 2025. That includes live coverage of the men's FIBA World Cup qualifiers beginning next week, as well as the women's team qualifiers for the 2022 World Cup next year. Notable baseball signing today, left-handed starter Eduardo Rodriguez has signed a five-year, $77 million deal with the Tigers. Now, Rodriguez has been with the Red Sox since 2014 and posted a 4.74 ERA last year. John Paul Morosi reports that the Jays were in the final three bidders for Rodriguez, which makes you wonder where are the Jays at with Robbie Ray if they're looking at a left-hander? And just how much is he going to make? Is it for the agent on a deal like that? Rough day on the pitch for Italy as they tied Northern Ireland 0-0. 0-0. Cobb, Cobb. And will have to go through to the playoffs to qualify for the 2022 World Cup just like Portugal. They missed the World Cup in 2018 after losing to Sweden in a playoff. This time around, it will take two wins to make it as there will be 12 playoff teams vying for those three spots. Portugal also in the playoffs after their loss and late loss to Serbia. We'll discuss that more 
in last call. Meanwhile, let's get right back down to the red carpet and our good friend Renaud Lavoie of TVA, who is joining us from the aforementioned red carpet. Good to have you back, Renaud. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here in Toronto again. Yes, so you're just beside that red carpet. I wonder, as, as the induction ceremonies yep. get underway, uh, I know it's a cool kind yep. of night for those who love hockey. Who are you most looking forward to? Is there a speech yep. that you're kind of looking forward to seeing tonight? Well, I'll, I'll cheer for uh, my hometown, obviously, uh, for uh, Kim Saint-Pierre coming in. Because, you know, it's a fairy tale story, guys. It, there's no other way to put it. Um, you know, she was uh, uh, she was doing figure skating. At eight years old, she decided to uh, play hockey, and uh, she wanted to be a goalie. First game that she was in net, she lost that game eight nothing. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. And her parents at the time said, "Good, she's not going to play hockey anymore." <laughs> and guess what? Here she is today at the All Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, she's the only woman to. Uh, to win a game uh, uh, at the uh, university, uh, university level, level yeah. uh, with McGill, yeah, uh, that's unique. You know, there's a lot of great stories. Obviously, she wanted to play midget AAA. She wanted to play in junior. It didn't work out for her, but uh, hey, three gold medals at the Olympics. Um, I mean, five world championship. Come on. This is this is a beautiful story that we need to cherish here. Yeah, three Olympic golds. She was uh, eight for eight with four shutouts in those Olympic games. It's ridiculous. And and maybe the wow. best part is, you know, like my little girl plays hockey with the boys. Uh, you know, back when Kim started playing with the boys, people would look, people would say things in the crowd. Now you see girls playing with the boys and no one says a oh. thing. It's old hat. It's just... Uh, Perfect. People like that trailblazing, we definitely got to tip our cap to. Hey, listen, I, yep. I got to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in Montreal. There's, there's a couple of hot spots yep. in Canada right now. Do you feel like the, the Montreal faithful want a scapegoat for the way this has started, or do they understand the circumstances? I think they understand. You know, when you're talking about Carey Price not being here to start the season, that's the backbone of your franchise right there's no other way to put it I think that what's really sad right now is Jake Allen was playing really well for uh, the last week or so and now he's under the concussion concussion protocol which doesn't help um, and, and that's that's going to be uh, this week I guess uh, the big story in Montreal the fact that uh, Samuel Montembeau Caden uh, Prumo are now uh, you know the first two goalies uh, uh, for I guess at least a week, if not more. So that's that's an issue. I wonder if Mark Bergevin will try to get another goaltender, uh, because uh, I don't know how long uh, you know you can wait for uh, Jake Allen or Carey Price. Carey's not coming in soon either. So you need to realize that it's going to be really really tough for the Canadians. But I think the fan base understand. If you look at the, you know the fans in the stands, there's a lot of people going at the Bell Center. Uh, the Pitts Pittsburgh Penguins are in town on Thursday. That's really good. Uh, so, and I, I and I expect Sidney Crosby to play. By the way, so when you look at the big picture, uh, you know there there is some a lot of negative uh, right now. But at least the fans are going uh, to see the Canadians. They're cheering them. They're working hard. It's just they don't have those bounces right now because they, they, there's a lot of injured bodies there. It's not often where I can say another city in Canada has more pressure than Montreal, but there might be more pressure on Jim Benning and Travis Green in Vancouver than Montreal, eh, Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. 
And, and in a way, you have to say rightly so. I think, uh, you know, the expectations are really, really high. Um, I, I like the Canucks, what they're doing. They build that franchise the right way. Uh, to get a guy like uh, JT Miller a couple of years ago was the right move, believe me. Um, you know, you need a, a player like that who's, who loves to uh, uh, play the game the right way. Uh, and he, 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 was, he was really helpful. The thing is, uh, how long, you know, the fans are going to be pra- uh, patient. You know, you mentioned one thing, pressure. Uh, Toronto is a tough market. Montreal is a tough market. But believe me, sometimes I believe Vancouver is a tougher market than even Montreal and Toronto. Uh, so it, it's, not, it's not easy. Hopefully they're going uh, to be patient again. But I believe this is, a, this is a, a team that can do damages in the playoffs if, if they make the playoffs. But I believe they will. All right, uh, Renault, before I let you go, obviously Ottawa is a story in the NHL right now as uh, they had their three games uh, postponed this week. What's the latest that you're hearing out of Ottawa? And did the NHL wait a little too long before they stepped in here? Obviously, obviously. There was a lot of question marks. Why, uh, Why last week, you know, the Kings played that game versus Ottawa or even the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, this Saturday uh, or the Flames yesterday. So uh, there's a lot of people that are asking questions right now. Now they have 10 players under the COVID protocol, one coach. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of people and they they should have shut down uh, that franchise uh, maybe uh, five, six, seven days ago. They didn't because they expected that there'll be no more issues. But, uh, you know, that virus is, uh, we, we know what it is right now. There's, there's no doubts about, about that. Uh, I talked to Chris Latang earlier today. There was some issues, uh, as you know, with uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. But they were lucky because it was two players every week instead of five, six players like it happened in the last uh, two weeks with the, with the, uh, the Ottawa Senators. So I, I think 10 players is a lot. I wonder about their families, too. I don't wonder yeah. really about the players. I don't think they're going to be really sick. But what about the spouse, uh, the kids? I don't know. Uh, it, it should have been done earlier. No doubts about that. Okay, so how does this affect, or at all, will it affect uh, Olympic participation from the NHLers? Because I know that if we have a couple more of these, yeah. uh, we might get into that, that spot. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, but I, I don't believe that you know it will happen, to be honest with you. And... It's easy to say right now, but if you look, you know, at the start of the season to today, it wasn't that bad. Yes, there were some cases. You look at right now at the Coyotes, that's, that's maybe a, a spot that where there'll be an issue. Uh, but you know what? Let, let's, let's uh, uh, you know, make sure that everybody stays healthy. I don't believe that it, it'll have an effect on the Olympics. Not right now. It's too early to say. I believe it will happen, uh, I, and I believe that the league and the PA will do everything in their power for, for the Olymp- Olympics to happen. So, like, yes, if it happens to another two or three teams, that's going to be an issue. But maybe we'll play more hockey during the summer. You never know, sadly to say. Understood. Uh, hey, there is a good piece of news for you. Uh, the Chicago Bears did not lose Go this ahead. week. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. They didn't play. Uh, on the bye week, they're back they're really uh, good. for Baltimore. I mean, they, they Detroit. Wow. Detroit. It, was a gr- it was a great weekend. Yeah, it was a great weekend. Believe me. Uh, listen, Renault, always great catching up with you, whether we're talking football or hockey. Enjoy the night down there tonight. 
Thank you very much for that. All right, there is uh, Tevias, Renault Lavoie joining us from the Hockey Hall of Fame, where a class of six will go in tonight. Time for a break. We'll hear from James Sherman in snowy Edmonton after the break. Plus, Rich Gannon still on the way. Tim and friends on a Monday. Got you covered. Football and football. Next, Tim and friends. Rich Gannon still to come on this edition of Tim and Friends, but from football we go to football, and it's surprising how much soccer that we are talking, but it's also surprising where Canada is. Listen, it wasn't pretty, but a big win for Canada's men in Edmonton on Friday night, beating Costa Rica 1-0, and Canada sitting in a good position in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying standings. Third place, that's the last automatic qualifying spot for now. And another big match on tap tomorrow in Alberta, Canada, Mexico. Here's a, uh, a rather chilly James Sharman from snowy Edmonton. Well, Tim, as you see, the weather has descended upon Edmonton. Over my right shoulder is the cityscape, I, I assure you. But as you see, the conditions are getting bad. It's cold, so cold, in fact, that my cameraman has given me this rabbit to wear on my head, the poor, soft Toronto boy that I am. But let's talk about defence, shall we, for this Canadian side. Going forward, of course, very, very good. 11 goals scored so far, tied for first in the group. But at the back, also very good. Just four goals against, also tied for first in the group. We defend together, we attack together. We know the quality we have uh, within our group. Uh, but I think it's, as a group, it's that quality that uh, stands out. And, you know, we don't we don't break it down as much. We, we do this as one and, you know, we know our powerhouse is going forward but we want to also defend well ultimately everyone sacrifices their position for the other player and i think with our brotherhood and the culture we have everyone gives their all and whoever's the next man up is the next man up and that also is added to the flexibility and the mentality of the group at training on monday there were two world famous left wingers one far more popular than the other in alberta one being of course the prime minister the popular one being Alfonso Davis and Fonzie must be great against the Mexicans he generally is as a win for the Canadians and they could be possibly in first place by the end of this window Timmy it's too cold it's too snowy I'm getting warm <laughs> uh, that's awesome Sherman an absolute fire quote of the year this rabbit on my head unbelievable and two left wingers Trudeau and Alfonso Davies uh, Woody writes in from Edmonton <laughs> Wow, is everyone from Toronto scared of the weather with a all-caps soft? The answer is yes. Yes. If you have never felt, listen, Toronto rarely gets under, like we, our outdoor, like our outdoor arenas last maybe a month, honestly. And I've spent a lot of time in other parts of Canada. If you're not yeah. used to minus 20, you are rattled by minus 20, and that's exactly why Canada is playing these games in Edmonton, because people are rattled when you... And even Canadians who aren't used to it are rattled by it. Uh, first of all, I thought we threw to uh, Polly in Rocky IV. <laughs> you got the look. Look at the middle of Russia. Which was also in Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They filmed that. That's the Russian amazing. scenes That's were in Alberta. Great connection. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, first of all, uh, Sherman looks incredible. And then uh, with the weather <laughs> thing, um, what was it today in Toronto? First like of all, two, Sherman looks incredible. Two, what was it, like two degrees today in yeah, Toronto? Like two degrees. I was freezing when I went outside. 
freezing. Well, this I'm is, not used to it yet. That's the thing. I'm, my body's not used to the temperature. But this is the thing about the rest of Canada versus Toronto, southern Ontario, Vancouver. You don't dress for it. You don't prepare for it because you don't, like, do you put snow tires in your car? I haven't yet, but I do normally. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, 50% of Torontonians, maybe not, 30% of Torontonians put snow tires on their car. That's dangerous. Right? Yes. And in every other part of Canada, like, what are you talking about? Sebi, you grew up where it was cold, right? Yep. Yeah. Like, what would be the average in the winter? What? Right. The average? And so when you walked out, you weren't walking out in your jeans. You had long johns on every day. In you looked like right? Charmin. No, I mean, when you were a kid. No, I didn't have long johns. What? Just, just normal pants. <laughs> really? I'm not a softie. How is that possible? See, that, I, that, I, my mom always taught me. She grew up just outside of Montreal. Just dress for the weather, you'll be fine. And I was always fine. My hair might have been messy when I had it. Now the beauty of being bald is you put a toque on and you're good to go. <laughs> But a lot of people are worried about how they look and all these things, and they don't dress for it. So yes, Woody, a lot of people from Toronto and other parts of southern Ontario are very scared of the weather. Yeah, no, I, like when you go to Quebec, it, it is like, it sounds like, so, it makes Toronto seem like so elitist. But like you go to Tremblant, you go somewhere, there, and that, that is cold. Like that's real cold. There's a Tr- different... Tremblant? Yeah. We, we need to take this guy to Edmonton. You need... You, you need to go to Saskatoon. Okay. You need to go to... Tim uh, and Friends Road Trip. You need to go to Prince I'm just George. Saying, I'm just saying. The, the, the minus 20, <laughs> no. the minus 20 versus the two degrees, like that is a massive, massive okay. difference. Okay, Ilya Brizgalov. <laughs> nice. Nice connection. Uh, I'll, I'll go back Way to, to the Vanier Cup that I Way bring up circle. every time when we talk about weather. An entire week in Saskatoon where we were minus 35 to minus 40. That's when like your, your, your nose freezes Instantly. Yeah, the, no, the, the hairs the inside in your, your nose, nose yeah. freeze from any sort of moisture. Yes. Yeah, that's not exciting. That's not fun. <laughs> I wonder if Charmin's experiencing that right now. I don't think it's that cold yet. He seemed like it was. He, he didn't have like gloves he walked on. Away, he walked Hold away. on. He had the hat on. If it was really that cold, he would have gloves on. So you think on. it's all for show is what you're There's saying? There's no gloves there. It's yeah, all for show? I think show? he's putting on a little bit of a show because he knew <laughs> the reaction that he would get. I love it. I love it. We had uh, I love his accent. The Vanier too. Cup in Saskatoon, we had to have heaters. Like, it was a liability. We had to have heaters on set for people. It, it was, was a liability. Cold. Yeah, it was that cold. Like, it was dangerously cold. <laughs> I guess All we'll right. have to get one for Jesse if we ever go on the road. I'm kind of cold right now, actually. Remember Ottawa, Dobbs? What was Ottawa for that, that outdoor game? It was like, yeah, it was like minus 20 or minus 25. Sid was wearing dress shoes. Time for a break. You need snow tires then, that's for sure. <laughs> he had dress socks and dress shoes on. That's a Torontonian. <laughs> I, had, I had the boots on, he had dress shoes. Uh, NFL surprises continued yesterday. Plus a return to the field, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. And did Bill Belichick do it again? It's next in Tim and Frank. Jacoby Myers, there it is, his first touchdown. The New England Patriots, 452 yards of offense, their fourth consecutive win. Prescott looking to run it in, and he's in. Touchdown, Dallas. 
You're up 33 points. Your star quarterback is still willing to lower his shoulder. Catch made. Can he get out of bounds? Balls out! Does anybody really want to win this game? I didn't know he could even find it. Newton takes the snap, and he is in for a Panthers touchdown! This time last week, I was eating a bowl of cereal. It's not about me. This was an impeccable team win. 19th play of the drive is going to put the game away. Touchdown, Gibson. The longest drive in the league this year. The Seahawks blank for the first time in 10 years. A 17-0 shutout by the Green Bay Packers. Mahomes floats one wide open. Tyreek Hill, five touchdown passes. For Mahomes. <laughs> he tells me I got my swagger back. Oh, <laughs> Have you seen more weird results and teams getting blown out one week and then coming back and winning big the next? It just seems like a, an incredibly unusual year. Oh, you got that right, Chris <laughs> Collinsworth, and Jesse Rubinoff knows it all too well. That's not nice. Although, so do I. I'm looking uh, up temperatures, by the way. Are you? Yeah. Okay, Moj writes in and says, it's minus one in Edmonton right now. Literally a three-degree <laughs> difference from where you are just with snow. Uh, Fueled one writes in and says, it's only minus one here, but feels like minus six. So hoodie weather yeah. for a while yet. Hashtag We're kind of getting, like, crushed here. Hashtag Jim and Friends. We're kind of getting How crushed. we? How we? I don't know. But I was not a part of this equation, and I'm a bald man. Okay, fair enough. I have no protection from this. Can I just say the reason I brought up Tromblons? Because the last time I was there was in 2016. It was the weekend. It was the, it was the weekend of the NBA All Star Game. Remember how cold it was in Toronto? Yeah, it was very that weekend. cold. Was okay, like the temperatures two. in Tromblon that weekend low on Friday, how minus 23. Low Saturday on the 13th of February of 28, a uh, minus 28. Sunday was minus 30. Okay, minus so, 30. So you're not. So it's as, not like I haven't experienced it before. I know what cold is. You're not. Yeah, I was there. Saying. I was there for three days. It was, and it was really cold. tough to ski in those All conditions. Right, let's bring in former <laughs> NFL MVP Rich Gannon. Sorry you had to sit through that, but I got to ask, like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, how many cold weather games did you uh, suffer through as a quarterback, or did you enjoy them? Well, Tim, you know, I played in Minnesota. We had a dome, but we had practice outside all the time. And I will tell you this. I played the tuck rule game back in 2001 against the Patriots with the snow, but it wasn't that cold. I, but I'll tell you my coldest game ever. And I didn't even play in the game. I, I didn't start in the game. It was my rookie year in 1987. I was with the Vikings. We played the Cleveland Browns. And the game went into overtime at the old Brown Stadium right by the uh, right by the lake there. It was freezing cold. It was started snow. It was in December. It had to be 15, 20 below a wind chill, but it, it felt even colder and I can just remember the game went into overtime. And this is, I've never even said this publicly before, but at that point I was like, I don't care who scores, <laughs> just somebody score quickly so I can get to the shower. I can get to the locker room and get a hot shower. It was that bad out. It was terrible. It's worse as the backup quarterback because you can't, like, you're just jogging along the <laughs> sideline. Like, if you're playing, you're distracted by something. I got to assume, like, I remember I told Jesse, I once asked out of a game, I told my coach, I said, listen, <laughs> just play my backup. He needs some reps. We're up big. And it had nothing to do with me being the jovial, nice guy. It was because I was freezing. And it was the worst mistake I made <laughs> because I stood on the sidelines and got even colder. Tim, there's actually a footnote to the story. Yeah. I was dressed out for the game, but I was actually the third quarterback. 
So we had Wade Wilson, Tommy yep. Kramer, two veteran quarterbacks. I was the third quarterback. There was no chance I was going to play that day. <laughs> I was freezing. And all I wanted was the game to end. As it turned out, the game did end. The Browns kicked the field goal. We lost to add insult to injury. Oh, that's terrible. That's when, as a third-string quarterback, you're like, Coach, can I? do you guys mind if I wear track pants today? <laughs> <laughs> Just going to put the track pants on over top of this. Uh, this was another one of those weekends. You heard Chris Collinsworth at the end of that montage. Like, it's head-shaking right now. Uh, let's begin with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's two in a row, one off a bye, I don't know how good Washington is. Chase Young left that game. Is is there reason for concern for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Oh, I think so. I mean, look, they're they're not real healthy on either side of the ball. You know, again, no Antonio Brown, no Rob Gronkowski. It's making things difficult for Brady. But you start the game with two interceptions in the first quarter. They just never they, they never got rolling offensively and then defensively. Uh, they didn't play as well either. So, look, but remember, guys, this, this this was a team that had some struggles last year at this time yeah. and still found a way to get on a, on a roll in December and in January. So I wouldn't wouldn't count out the Buccaneers. The, the one thing about staying in the NFC, about Green Bay and all that they've gone through over the last week and, heck, all they've gone through over the last year and all of the oxygen that Aaron Rodgers has sucked out of the room, he might have the best defense he's ever had in Green Bay, and for me, that makes them a legit Super Bowl contender. What about you? Well, I think you're right. When you look at what they've done the last three, first of all, they've won seven of their last eight games, but I agree with you, Tim. I think they're playing better defensively. I mean, you look at the last three quarterbacks that they faced, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and Russell Wilson, and, you know, they played really well. They held the Mahomes to 13 points. They shut out Russell Wilson. I think Kyler Murray had 21 points. So they've given up basically 34 points in the last three games. They're really playing well on that side of the ball. And that's certainly going to help because, look, Aaron Rodgers looked rusty to me. He, he just didn't come out and play like we expected. Not as rusty as Russell Wilson, but uh, not as sharp as, as we expect from, from Aaron Rodgers. All right. Uh, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. Can we, like... I can't believe after the start that the rest of the division got off to and the start that the Chiefs got off to that we are where we are. But are we officially in the Chiefs are back? We are. And, you know, it's, it's such a week-to-week business. You asked me a week ago, I said, I don't know if they're good enough in the second half of the season to even make the playoffs. Now they're atop the division. You look at the Chargers. The Chargers have lost three of their last four. The, the Raiders have lost two in a row. And, oh, by the way, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, have won four straight games, and they're really playing better on both sides of the ball. The defense has been better. Patrick Mahomes threw five touchdowns, no interceptions. And I think I just think that you know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to come back and play this week. The offensive line has played a little bit better. I think they've weathered the storm, and I, I think this is a team that can, can, get, can get better uh, in the second half of the season, and they still have the best quarterback in the AFC West, and it's not even close. Okay, so let's let's hammer down on that a little bit. And Mahomes looks like he was back, and Derek Carr and the Raiders struggled. And listen, this isn't the first time that we've seen the Raiders get off to a good start, only to stumble down the stretch. Are, are we in a spot where we might see Marcus Mariota get a shot here? Like, what do the Raiders do moving forward, and do you think they can still contend? You know, Last night was, was was a bad performance. In fact, it was an embarrassing performance. You, you got, you're coming off your bye. You've got a divisional game against the Chiefs at home. 
and you get your noses bloodied. I mean, that game wasn't even close. And I, I think most concerning to me was how poorly they played in all three phases. They got out coached, they got out played, they got out hustled. And it just didn't, I just didn't see the energy from this football team. That was the Chiefs, Raiders, Chiefs rivalry. I mean, that's, that's, that's a meaningful game. And I just didn't see this team respond when they got behind. And, and that's, that's, that's worrisome. I, look, if this continues to go south, uh, I don't anticipate it, but you could see a change because the Raiders have to do something to salvage this season. All right, let's close with uh, Patriots 45, Browns 7. Uh, last week, I think we had the conversation about whether or not we felt like Bill Belichick was turning the corner with Mac Jones. Uh, that's the hot take of the day, uh, at least south of the border. What do you make of what Belichick and Mac Jones have been able to do with this Patriots team? Well, I really like the direction they're headed as well. I mean, they've won four straight games. They're playing really good defensively, and Mac Jones – uh, has I, I think Tim, when you look at Mac Jones, he's deliberate, he's precise, and he's accurate. And I think those are really good qualities to have. He's on pace to set the rookie completion percentage record. He's at sixty nine percent. He makes good decisions. He gets the ball out quick, and you know he doesn't turn it over. I, I just really like what I'm seeing from the young quarterback. And this is a good football team. I mean, you know, a lot of people felt like the Buffalo Bills would run away with it in the AFC East, but oh, don't count out the Patriots and Bill Belichick. I heard someone say that they believe Mac Jones is further along than Tom Brady at this point in his career, and it's really interesting. Some of it is semantics, obviously, because Tom Brady took over from Drew Bledsoe. They had a really good defense, and he was able to build. Would you agree with that sentiment, though, that, that at this point in his career, Mac Jones is further along than Brady? You know, it's, it's unfair. It's almost sacrilegious to compare <laughs> Mac Jones to Tom Brady, even at this young age. Yeah. But, you know, I think they're different physically. I think Brady's got the bigger arm, the more arm talent. Uh, but, you know, I think that they have similar qualities when it comes to uh, how they prepare, how they study, how they watch film, uh, how they take to coaching, their leadership skills. I mean, I, I, I just think the, the Patriots have to be thrilled with what they've seen so far from Mac Jones. And, and again, even if he's not Tom Brady, even if he doesn't turn, turn out to one and a half dozen Super Bowls, which is highly unlikely, even if he can get them in those big games and play well in playoff games, uh, I think you've got a, you've got a chance because you've got great coaching there. And the one thing, you've got to tip your hat to Josh McDaniels and the job yeah. that he is yeah. play caller. He's really built a plan around what the quarterback likes, what he does well, what he's got a history with. I really like the, the direction this team is headed, especially with the rookie quarterback. I know there is the three touchdowns, but when you look 19 to 23, 198 yards, and you run away the way they did from the Browns, uh, that's as oppressive as hell from both coordinators. Uh, last one for you. Is Baker Mayfield good? <laughs> you know, he's got a 500 record. But remember now, Tim, this is, this is a quarterback that took the – the, the Browns and won a playoff game last year. Yeah. I mean, when's, when's the last time that's happened in Cleveland? <laughs> yeah. I just think that you look at Mayfield, as bad as things are, he's completing 65% of his passes. He's only thrown four picks on the season. Uh, he's a good decision maker. He's not healthy, though. And and I would say this, when when, when they're right, and then he's, he's reliable. What do I mean by when they're right? When they yeah. can run the football and play complimentary football. You know, when you don't have the backs – and again, yesterday, no Chubb, uh, no Kareem Hunt. I mean, that, that's that, that, that's not who they are. They've got to be able to run it. They've got to be able to protect. And they've got to be able to play good defense. They didn't do any of those things yesterday. 
And, and the third down and fourth down numbers yesterday were awful. You're just not going to go on the road and win like that. When I saw the first drive of the game, I felt really good about their chances. But then things quickly unraveled. But to answer your question, is is do I believe Baker Mayfield is the long-term solution in Cleveland? I do. I mm-hmm. think I think I, I think he's a guy that, that can get it done. But you got to be able to help him. I don't think he's ever going to be Aaron Rodgers or, or even Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, a guy that can simply carry a football team on his shoulders. He's not that guy. But but, but when you're playing well around him, uh, he could be more than functional. Another reminder, it is the ultimate team game, and so is broadcasting. We appreciate you jumping in and doing this, Rich, as always. Thanks, brother. Uh, there is a former NFL MVP and our Monday afternoon quarterback. Right here on Tim and Friends. Time for one last break. We'll get you to our Monday tip of the cap and last call with Jesse Rubinoff next, right here on Tim and Friends. Lots of NFL. I could have talked about that. I like the first drive, too. He wasn't alone. He went south from there, though. Welcome back. It may be cold in Alberta, but it builds character, kids. And our Monday tip of the cap goes to the Shaw Charity Classic and its organizers. The event, which happened in mid August, announced their fundraising total last week. They racked up $14.8 million in donations, breaking their own record for largest fundraising total in PGA Champions Tour history. Dating back to its debut in 2013, the Shaw Charity Classic has now racked up over $76 million in donations that help benefit youth-based programs across the province of Alberta. And oh yeah, it also gave us this gold back in August. Steve beat me all day. That's just the facts. I just went and took it. He didn't. He didn't give it up. I just went and made birdies. So. Okay. Well, you talk about day. you talk about that finish. You birdies at Woo! 16, 17, and 18. Woo! We talked about one of us needs to go get this so we can go to Hawaii again. I'm going, baby. Let's go. We're going to Hawaii, baby. Leslie, we're going to Hawaii. Congratulations. Yeah, like, what a win. Good. Heck yeah. All right, George? Hey, man, I got blood all over me. I don't know what I did, so <laughs> we're there. <laughs> so not only a great champion, but a great total as we hit last call. That That is the end was the best part there. You got blood all over me. don't know how that happened. Golf should be bleeding like that <laughs> after the 18th green. Okay, uh, Tim, Formula One. We're heating up, coming down the stretch here, and what a day it was on Sunday for Lewis Hamilton at the Brazilian Grand Prix in one of the most impressive wins of his career, starting the race 10th due to a five-place grid penalty. Hamilton worked his way up the first, capturing his 101st F1 title. Let me repeat, 101st F1 title. Yes. Max Verstappen's lead is now down to 14 points with three races to go in the 2021 Formula 1 season. Has this sport won you over a little bit here in 2021? Yes, because it's not predictable at all. I mean, I guess we could say that Verstappen and Hamilton are going to be near the top or at the top every race, but it's less predictable than it has been in the past. And I'll throw this back to you guys. Stefan Moran behind the... uh, Huge F1 camera, fan. huge F1. That's how fan. we start our Mondays. I walk yeah. in here and talk and to you guys. Talk, talk F1. F1. So let me pose the question to you guys: Has has this been one of the best years in F1 history? Well, Jesse? I'm kind of a, a fair weather uh, fan, only because the Drive to Survive got me into it. Right. So I, I, I'm not such a historian. So Sebi's probably a better person to ask. But what I'll say, what I'll say is that I, no, I don't no, you're out. Fun. You're one of those. It hasn't been this close fans. between Verstappen and Hamilton or anyone really for the, a long time. Yeah, walk away. Seven Schumacher years. again. Yeah. 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 Uh, for me, I mean, I'm biased for 
the limp, so I thought that was probably the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it's been pretty the Quebecer says the Villeneuve season was the one that. And you know what this does? That. You know what this does? To I me? love it because it's so dramatic. Now they're gonna they're gonna suck you in for the next season of Drive to Survive because you're gonna have to get on board with that. You're gonna yeah, have to watch. It's I, gonna I, be super dramatic. Even though Max Verstappen, I don't think he's participating in it, which is kind of a shame. But Lewis Hamilton will be, and Lewis Hamilton is a star, star of the show. He's a star. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's go to baseball, and we've got uh, our first big signing of the MLB offseason, as Tim mentioned earlier. Eduardo Rodriguez has signed with the Tigers, five years and $77 million, a decent amount of money for the lefty. But what caught our eye was this tweet from friend of the show, John Morosi. He tweeted, sources, the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Angels were all involved in the Eduardo Rodriguez market over the last week, so look for those clubs to pivot and pursue other rotation options does it make sense to you that the Jays were in on Eduardo Rodriguez? I'm not down with the second, third, and fourth place teams. Either you get a free agent or you don't get a free agent. And I don't know what agent says what in order to boost numbers, in order to get more people mm -hmm. in on the equation. And listen, I'm not questioning Morosi in any way, shape, or form, but the agents are playing a game here. This is a game of poker. And you can tell people who's in, but unless you win that free agent, I don't want to hear about it. So yes, it's curious to see the Jays name in there. It's a lefty. What does that mean about Robbie Ray moving forward? Like there's all these games of connect the dots that you can play. I'm not down for any of them. None of them. Because we've seen, how many times have we seen Sid Sixero's greatest uh, rip of the Toronto Blue Jays is that they were second in the pursuit of a free agent. I don't want to hear any of it. You Darvish, specifically? Whatever one of them. Do you was. remember that? Yes. Do you remember the, the, just the phenomenon that swept this city and this country, really, when you Darvish was coming over? And it was crazy. And the Jays are right in the thick of it. But I agree with you. Like, who wants to hear that they finished in second place? Nobody. Nobody. We have a, we have a graphic prepared for when the Jays finish second, or at least they're named in a tweet yeah. to have finished second because we're just waiting for all these stories to come out. Either you get the guy or you don't get the guy, and the Jays know who they want. Definitely doesn't bother me, though, that they're looking for pitching help, right? No, no. They're, they're they should always be looking for pitching help. They should always be looking for pitching help. And I have a feeling, stay tuned, baseball fans, if you're a really big free agent, I got a feeling they're going to sign before December 1st. I got a feeling that there's going to be some signing bonuses that are going to be put in ahead of the CBA. Yeah. So if you're Marcus Simeon or Robbie Ray and someone gives you $20 million up front going into what seems like a, a little bit of a work stoppage here, I wouldn't be surprised if the top names go before December 1st. And take $20 million up front. Take uh, staying with baseball, Ken Rosenthal reporting in the last couple of hours that the New York Mets have offered their general manager position to Billy Epler. Now, Epler was the Angels GM from 2015 to 2020, but the Mets are also looking for someone else in the front office. Huh? And I'm giggling because they posted a job offer for an associate analyst in baseball analytics. But check out the bottom of the pick. The Mets saying in their posting, quote, prior experience in or knowledge of baseball is not required. <laughs> Tim, is this a recipe for success? 
I know. That was a genuine laugh I got you there. I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I hadn't seen this yeah. story at all. I know what they're trying to say, but that is so New York Mets, is it not? It's so New York Mets. But I will say, it is it is easier to teach somebody baseball than it is to no, teach them just looking data for, analytics. Yeah, they're looking for the... The, the analyst that yes. can comb through data and offer up different opinions than you would normally get from baseball people. But don't write that in your <laughs> career posting. Come on, yeah, man. Like that's so good. You can say it in a different way. That's oh, so Mets. That is, that is so New York so Mets. Mets. Uh, okay, off we go to basketball. The Warriors seem to be back to their dominating ways, and no one is showing off their old form more than Steph Curry. These days, Golden State an NBA best 12 and 2 this season, and Curry is Not second healthy. in scoring, averaging just over 28 points a game. And on Friday, he gave us another iconic image from long distance. This photo of Curry. I know you're pretty high on it. Looking at the crowd as his shot drops. No, 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 no. no. Not as his before the shot, shot drops. drops. Look where the ball like is. way before the shot drops. And Sorry, he's in already pointing to the fans and knows that it's good. So the question is, how much is this NFT gonna go for in due time? <laughs> Couple of million these days, for sure. Is that one of the more impressive photos that you've seen? Like the, the first one that comes to mind for me in terms of photos in basketball is, is the Kawhi shot mm -hmm. of him crouching. But that's the best one that I've seen since. And the LeBron one of the alley-oop with, with Dwayne Wade. Yeah, I, I think your Kawhi though is almost like Okay, it's situation, it's the team that you know well, you know what it did. Like, it's an amazing shot because of the circumstances and it, it's it's hanging in the Raptors up here. But that one, like for a regular season game 13 or whatever, is unbelievable. And just careful kids, if you're gonna try and pull this off at home, remember Swaggy P who did that yeah. and the shot didn't go in. Yes. So be careful here, yeah. be careful here. There is one guy to do that. It is the Stuff greatest here. shooter that we have ever seen in our life. And I can say that with supreme and utter confidence. It's Steph Curry. Well said. Uh, Italy drawing Northern Ireland in soccer nil-nil. That result coupled with Switzerland beating Bulgaria means Italy, the European champs, they got to go through the playoffs to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. So is Sid going to have to come back on the show for yet another rant about Italy? Uh, I don't think. I think the European Championship gives them a little leeway here. This is tough. Nil-nil uh, against Northern Ireland. They would have wanted much more from this one. Now they got to go through a playoff. But that's the beauty of attempting to qualify for the World Cup. So it's you're saying Canada's Canada better? No, I'm saying can Canadians <laughs> haven't seen stuff like this, yeah. and this happens every once in a while. It's a marathon, not a sprint, but we are out of time. I'd love to talk about this more. Have we established that it's going to be cold for Canada versus Mexico? Yeah, and tomorrow, tomorrow I think we're going to discuss it a little more. That's it for us. Here's what's up next. Isles Lightning on Sportsnet, 8 Eastern on Sportsnet 360. It's WWE Raw. We got an NBA doubleheader on Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet Now, all those things. Just enjoy everything. Talk to you tomorrow.